the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Warner, Director and Executive Coach at Professional Presentation Services. And with me today is Brett Bama. He's the host of the Contractor Business Podcast. He's also a former contractor himself. Brett, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you and I did a podcast earlier on, on your show and, and it went great. And uh, I was very excited to, to get you on my show and have, have my audience, my network kind of listen and, and hear about your experiences and hear about how you've navigated various situations. So thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. So Brett, why don't we start off by uh, telling the folks a little bit more about, about your story and how you became a contractor and how you kind of went deeper and deeper in that road. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, years and years ago, um, I grew up and I was kind of born and raised in the Denver area where I met my wife. We got married. And for years out of high school, I was kind of working in real estate and kind of some more of the business, the suit and tie type work. And I, I was kind of unhappy with what I was doing. And I loved doing woodworking, those types of things. And I talked to my wife one day and I said, hey, I really want to do something that I enjoy and it's going to be like a, a pay cut. I became a carpenter. It was, you know, she's like, do it, do something you enjoy, do what you love. So I did it. And uh, I loved it. I was a carpenter for years and years and got to work on some of the most exquisite homes in the mountains of Colorado, did a lot of the finished carpentry work up there and was going great until the wonderful financial crash of 2008, if you will. And that custom home market took a dive. And during that time, you could not sell the homes for even what it costs to build them. And so no bank in the world would give these people a loan to buy the home because it was already upside down from day one. So, right, right. yeah, so that uh, unfortunately kind of came to a screeching halt and I had to shuffle around and find new things to do. So for a while, I started my own business and I was doing custom cabinetry where I really specialized on going into remodels. And somehow I got into this niche of if somebody wanted to add to existing cabinets, I would match some older existing cabinets to add on and kind of a real specialized thing that worked great. But unfortunately it was still during the time of the economy where people weren't spending a lot of money and custom cabinetry is not a, a cheap thing to do. And with the advent of production cabinetry, that was a lot cheaper in box stores. It was a tough business to run for me at the time. And, um, I was still fairly young and and just not quite sure how to run a business at that point. And so uh, I went and got into electrical and became an apprentice. And it was kind of a, uh, a blessing in disguise. I, I, I thought I loved carpentry until I started doing electrical. And then I realized that I had actually really found my calling. And mm. so for the past, uh, let's say, nine plus years, I was, I've been in the electrical industry most of that has been uh, uh, as an electrician working out in the field and then uh, moved into uh, what we would call distribution, parts distribution for the electrical industry. So kind of took a, a voyage through some of the different trades and it's been, uh, it's been a great one, but definitely glad I ended up where I did in the electrical world. That's great. That's great that you, uh, you were able to kind of, you know, look inside yourself and say, yeah, I, I think I, I need to redirect here. I need to, to shuffle it up and you found uh, your path. So that's, that's excellent. A question popped in my mind. Sorry, my, my curiosity was piqued when you mentioned, no. <laughs> yeah, the custom, did you say, was it cabinetry? Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So, yep. Custom cabinetry. Um, and I even did, I did quite a bit of furniture refinishing as well. So damaged furniture and repair and uh, refinishing of, of high-end furniture that was damaged. Gotcha. Okay. So if someone um, hires you, they, 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 you know, hear about you and they want to remodel or they want to do an expansion or something with their, their cabinetry. So you have to go in kind of diagnose what type of, of wood and what type of materials are needed. And then you have to go, like, you have to source those from, from somewhere and then make them fit. Like, yeah. How does, how does that work? If you don't, sorry, I'm just speculating. Yeah, no. So, so for an example, there was a kitchen that a uh, contractor that I knew was doing a remodel on and they wanted to keep their existing cabinetry because it was well built, but it was older. So basically they were having it refinished mm-hmm. and they wanted to add, they took out a trash compactor, wanted to add a cabinet in there where that was, and then add a cabinet around the refrigerator. So it kind of expanded the kitchen. Well, the cabinets that were in there were made in the eighties. So finding a match in any box store or even a cabinet store at that point was going to be impossible. (laughs) So I would come up with a way to manufacture a cabinet that matched exactly to what they had there. So uh, a lot of the times it was hunting down router bits or even having to come up with a custom router bit to Mm. match the profiles of the doors and things of that nature. The wood typically wasn't too bad because most of the time, you know, the 80s and 90s and all that, it was very heavily oak. So didn't have issues there, but the design was pretty tough. It seemed like I ran into quite a few of those, actually, and it it just kept uh, becoming my niche for a while. Clearly, you've had to, you know, exercise some creativity and maybe some innovation trying to solve these problems of like how you get the finish correct and how you make it blend in. And did you do that yourself or did someone show you? Did you have a mentor? Like, how did that work? Um, it was a lot of trial and error. And, uh, <laughs> so like I, uh, like I said, woodworking had been a hobby of mine since I was a little kid. And so it was years and years of failing basically that really kind of gave me the the magic touch, if you will. There wasn't, um, as far as the, the finishing and stuff, that was kind of a self-taught through failure. Uh, carpentry wise though, I had a mentor who was one of the contractors that I worked for for years doing the work on the custom homes and one of the the greatest guys I've ever known in my life and he kind of took me under his wing and I learned almost everything I know from him real supportive guy great businessman cared about people just all in all a good person and that's where a lot of the stuff I learned about business carpentry and life actually came from him oh that's excellent it's always advantageous to have you know, a strong mentor, someone who's looking out for you. And it really does, you know, expedite the learning curve and, and, yeah. and put you ahead. So, so that's great. Um, and, and as far as uh, electricians go, just refresh me, is there, there's levels like apprentice, there's master electrician, there's, is, is that how it works? There's rankings? Yeah. Yeah. So um, depending on what state you're at or where you're at, it basically you're an apprentice level for four to five years and rack up a certain amount of hours. Then you can test for your journeyman license, which basically means you can work out on your own for a company who has a master. So the master electrician is basically the, uh, every company has got to have a master uh, who kind of looks over all the employees and is kind of responsible for that. So uh, if you ever wanted to go independent as an electrician, you'd have to get your master's electrician license from your respective area. But yep, those are basically the three tiers there. Interesting. Interesting. And, and as along your journey, when you reached, I mean, as you were progressing through the different, the levels or your years of experience, 
can you share with us what what's something you you learned that was like unexpected you didn't think that that was going to be you know something that you'd come across i would say uh the most unexpected thing was the amount of uh, other opportunities that were out there in the trades so as an electrician in the beginning you know i i spent a lot of time in the oil fields in oklahoma texas doing uh, field automation systems out there and kind of moved into the industrial realm from there when the, the, again, that was another market that crashed. The oil market was doing amazing out here in the shale down there and, you know, money was being spent left and right. And then all of a sudden the oil prices tanked, the market crashed as it always does in the oil. So <laughs> then it was kind of moved into another realm of electrical. So actually, you know, I'm going to back up. That's going to be the biggest thing I learned about the construction industry <laughs> is it is a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, you you truly, you cannot account for everything in your forecasts. Uh, a lot of this stuff is cyclical and you can think of that, but the construction industry is a very, I don't know, I can't even think of the best word for Un- unpredictable. it. Unpredictable? Uh, yeah, it's very unpredictable. Um, it does have predictable cycles, but you get a lot of curveballs thrown at you, you know, like the 2008 housing crash, the oil crash, um, all sorts of different factors come into play and you got to be pretty fluid and be able to, uh, move around into other areas. Right. When you worked, was it mostly independent or were you with a union? Did they, did they find work for you? Did, were you out on your own? How did that work? So I worked for a company for the first couple of years when I was out here. So basically, actually my whole electrical industry, I was always working for somebody. And then uh, I would say, uh, let's see, I went union would have been uh, probably five years ago. Uh, went union was a uh, foreman for the low voltage division of a company there. So yeah, I've kind of had a little bit of a taste of everything. Uh, small town electrical company that I worked for, for about four and a half years. Uh, we had about eight employees. Uh, it's actually kind of neat because I look at him now. He's on the, uh, I want to say it's the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. I think he's over 80 employees now. He's just exploded out here in Kansas. So uh, pretty fun seeing that. I'm not there anymore, but it's exciting to see uh, some of the colleagues be successful. Well, clearly you you left an impression. I mean, I'm going to credit that extreme, <laughs> that growth to to, to you. I don't know. Maybe I left and that's why I grew so fast. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Brett, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about? I mean, this this uh, our podcast a lot about communication and speaking. And like I said, the the listeners they're really interested in learning more about the situations you find yourself in, um, whether it be custom custom cabinetry or whether it be in the electrical field. Have you ever, or can you share some experiences with us where you've had to communicate with with different folks and kind of uh, what that was like? Yeah. So one of the ones that comes up constantly, especially in the electrical world and where I worked, we were in a small town where most of the homes are from early 1900s, you know, 1907, 1901, three, you know, real early 1900s, some even late 1800s. And they've had remodels on them. Who knows how many different times some of them have the original knob and tube wiring, but a lot of the times you'll get called in to do something on these homes and you're finding issue after issue after issue. And most of them are safety issues. And so when you're starting to present these to the homeowner, it's as far as the communication goes, sometimes it's really difficult because the homeowners think that you're trying to rack up your bill and get as much money out of them as possible. Mm. But as a contractor, especially for me, it was really hard for me to 
when I saw an issue, I had a hard time not fixing it. And I, I hated to leave a house with something I knew needed to be brought up to code or brought up to a better safety standard. So being able to convey that to the customer was very important and present it in a way that they knew this was about their safety, their well-being, and not about us trying to get more money out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how like I remember oh, this is going way back in the day, but when I was uh, one of my early years as a professor, I was teaching uh, business communication. I had a group of engineer uh, electrical engineers, and I was just blown away by the amount of rules and regulations and like you, I guess you refer to them as codes that you have to be aware of given your location <laughs> and yeah. what's ex- and you you're expected to like, it's not like you could just refer back to it it's like some of the you know the engineer the electrical engineer they just like yeah that's not right that's not right that's not right and they could just spot it so you must have i guess maybe that's why there's like a five-year apprentice you know program to probably learn all the, the different regulations yeah and it takes a lot of hands-on to to be able to figure some of the things out to get really good at them you know, one of the hardest things, especially in these older towns like that, some of the smaller farming communities, is they have a, a lot of the people there had the it's good enough kind of attitude. You know, it was mm. um, you were they grew up from, a, you know, the generation before them during the Depression where they try to save money and they try to fix everything as frugally as possible. You don't want to, you know, be dumping money. And so it you know, we always joked around. It was duct tape and bailing twine is how a lot of these houses <laughs> and farms were held together. But when you would present a problem to some of these people, they would be like, you know, it works. It's fine. It's like, well, that is extremely dangerous. <laughs> you know, it, it may work now, but what happens when it doesn't? And that's a difficult uh, road to cross when someone has that generational uh, thought process kind of ingrained into them. Yeah, for I can imagine it is. Like you said, from from your perspective, you know, it only takes something to go wrong once and then all of a sudden it, things are up in smoke or, you know, yeah. someone's caught, you know. And so what what have you, what's that situation like for you? Is it, it was uncomfortable to to confront or to address it with the owner of the home? Um, at first it was. And one of the hardest parts for me, and I think I actually kind of talked to you a little bit about this on my podcast, but I would go to a, a customer, you know, with an issue, whether it be something that's going on throughout the project. But typically if I'd find an issue, I'd bring it to them and they're like, well, you know, how much is it? it it's usually would jump straight to price. You tell them how much it is. And then like, well, I can't do that right now. And so you're kind of thinking of ways you can help them out. that's the hardest part is they, so many people have budgets, you know, and there's not a ton you can do, you know, if someone's on a tight budget, there's not a lot you can do other than maybe bring your price down. Um, So I think communication right there is vitally important. And that's one area I struggled. Um, I just had a hard time. Where do you find the line of walking away from that? Uh, But also trying to convey to them, this needs to be done. And I know you, are tight on your budget, but is your safety worth that amount of money? <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to take advantage of people or you don't want to put people in a financial bind either mm-hmm. uh, trying to repair. So trying to step back and be objective and not use your own personal feelings as well is something that I always struggled with. Uh, I took a lot of things personally. I felt a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it pride, but I felt very responsible for a lot of these jobs that I went on. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a point where I maybe needed to disconnect a little bit from that and keep it more of a business uh, 
transaction. Right. So when you just to, to clarify here in this situation, you were a representative of the um, the company or the organization you worked for. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. So um, for a long time, I was like the lead electrician going out on service calls, field calls, that type of thing. And so the the sale, the uh, basically everything just kind of happened right then and there when I was speaking with the customer. Um, I would handle bids. I would handle, you know, uh, talking to them about any issues. So basically from the beginning to the end of the job. Right. Okay. Uh, I was dealing with that. So were you, were you ever in a situation where you would, like you said, you were, you went, you were called in to fix something or to repair something. And then in the process of repairing it, you notice other, like, you know, on peripheral or, you know, additional issues that were not to go, but you weren't called there for that. So in that circumstance, I guess, are you within your right? Like, is it law that you have to fit, repair them or can you just notify the, the owner of the establishment and then complete your job and, and go back? Like, is it like, what, what's the protocol? So there are certain items that if you do start working on them, they do have to be brought up to code because you will have to get an inspection on it. So basically once you dive in on a lot of the projects, you, you know, you're going to have to bring it up, but the, another hard aspect of it is in the smaller towns, a lot of them don't have, so Kansas, for example, doesn't have a state licensing requirement like a lot of states do. So it's based on the individual jurisdiction. Oh. So certain counties out in the middle of Kansas may not even have inspection requirements. So any electrical in a lot of these areas can be done from pretty much anybody. And the requirements to bring them up to code may be a little bit different than if you're doing them in the town of Wichita, for example, who keeps mm -hmm. up with the current code uh, of the IEC. So we went into a house one time that was being remodeled and they wanted a ceiling fan moved from one location to another real simple job, but it had original knob and tube wiring that is very dangerous. And the response was, we will not touch this box. We will not do this until we rewire and get rid of this knob and tube wiring. It's a fire hazard. It's dangerous. It's a known problem. So we did refuse to do that job until they agreed to do the rewire. Okay. So sometimes it, I guess it's uh, depends on the situation. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the times for me personally is worth giving up a, a small job. You know, I, I always had that. I'm not willing to put someone at risk so I can, knock out a, a, a small job or something. It's more important that it's done correctly. And, and uh, I think that's important for the integrity of a business as well. Yeah, for sure. Especially for your own personal brand, right? Like your, your name's on it and people yeah. don't, you don't want people to say, well, Brett was here and, and Brett, Brett <laughs> left and he didn't say anything. So it must be fine. Right. And then two days later burns down and you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the hard part. You, you convey to him again, the, the issues they have and it, the, really the ball is in their court at that point. Uh, but I think as long as you, you do your best to, to thoroughly explain the, the situation to them, the things that are incorrect, um, the items that need to be fixed and the safety hazards that are involved and let them make their decision. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and like I said, I mean, we mentioned that we spoke with this a little bit on your podcast and, uh, 
I, I know that one of the the tools that that some folks use and it's some it can be effective depending on the situation is you know when you put yourself in their shoes and you tell them that you know putting myself in your shoes you probably want to get a you know a, a second uh, pair of eyes on this probably want to get it checked out by someone else but it might be time mm -hmm. sensitive so et cetera et cetera trying yeah, to build but... some yeah some goodwill there but yeah at the end of the day I mean even when you're working with people <laughs> people are unique and yeah I, I think you're very uh i think you're wise to be objective and like you said you the, some of the folks that you interact with are from the older generation who have a, a different mindset and a different approach you need to appreciate that sometimes right yeah yeah definitely and uh you know that like i said that generation it was either raised by folks from the depression era or you know there's still some that that were pretty young during the depression era they they had to go through some pretty tough times and they, they learned ways to make it through those tough times, but it's pretty ingrained into them. And to, to kind of by, bypass that, that way of life is pretty tough in some areas. No doubt. No so. doubt. So, so Brett, tell me, tell us a little bit about when you're, you're working with a team. Have you ever had to work with uh, some folks in the trades that are you know they're challenging to work with, or they don't have the best communication skills, or have you ever had any, any issues that you could you share a, a story or two? Oh boy. <laughs> so one of the, one of the most probably uh, memorable ones would actually be when I was a carpenter and in the residential aspect, uh, the carpenters would always give the plumbers and the electricians grief. Like it was just kind of like, uh, poking the bear, poke this one, you know, and this, uh, everyone would get mad, like, Oh, why the electricians hack up this two by four? I just framed this wall and they just drilled a hole here. And then, you know, so everyone's just kind of bickering back and forth or you're, you're mad because the plumber is supposed to be here today, get his stuff in. So you could finish framing up an area. Um, I've seen to where people will actually straight up cut plumbing out of the, uh, that has been put in, they'll cut it out and go ahead and frame something kind of out of spite. <laughs> So there's this constant battle between trades. Uh, and I don't know if it goes on anymore, but back when I was, you know, doing the residential side of things, which was, you know, close to back in 05 through 08 or whatnot, it, uh, it was a pretty consistent battle. Yeah. Um, so not very good communication between the trades. It seemed like everybody kind of took their side and it was, uh, this, this group versus this group or uh, always constantly putting the blame, you know, we're not on schedule because the, the plumbers didn't do their job or we're not on schedule because the electricians didn't do their job and uh, not really owning up to, to uh, personal failures, I guess. Was there no one um, on a job site? It's been, it's been many years since I was on a job site with my father, but on a job site, is there no one who coordinates each of the, like all the efforts respectively who quarterbacks at all? There is uh, a commercial, especially commercial is a lot more organized and you typically have a superintendent who's on site most of the time and they've got it pretty well laid out. They usually have project managers, you know, talking with each other, but the residential world sometimes can be the wild west. Uh, you typically have a builder who's remote and has kind of a rough schedule, but uh, a lot of the times you'll have certain trades that won't show up one day or they'll be gone for two days because they got called off onto another job. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a lot different. Uh, did you experience any of the residential side of things? Or Just was it mostly commercials? Not from scratch. So yeah, it was mostly commercial, okay. not from scratch, but renos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Renovations weren't too bad. It was mostly the new construction that would, uh, uh get a little wild. 
<laughs> but I, I even have my, um, a friend of mine just got a, a pool put in just be, before a couple months back. And uh, this pool, the, the operation or the, the job of installing a pool into the backyard was, was like a saga. Like it lasted like eight months and there was all these, <laughs> you know, like you, you just said, it was exactly that someone would come and there'd be like three guys there one day and the next day there'd be no one. And then the next day there'd be one, one guy. And then like, it was just kind of, uh, you know, he said he couldn't get a hold of anyone. He's <laughs> trying to, trying to speak with them. And, and they were like, just giving him like short answers. He's like, doesn't everyone talk to each other? Like what's going on? Yeah. And a lot of times in residential, and again, when I was doing the residential, it was quite a while ago. So things are probably a little bit different now, but it was, you, you would have, a lot of these trades would be working on multiple homes at once or multiple projects. And they'd get a call maybe from a, a project manager or a general contractor who's working on another house and said, Hey, I got to get drywall in to tomorrow. You guys need to be here to finish something up. So they'll leave the house. Maybe they're at now go wrap that job up, which then kind of puts the, maybe some of the other trades who are on that house behind. So it's this constant shuffle that's going on. Housing is such a fast paced construction. Whereas on the commercial side, it's very, very laid out on a schedule. It's it's still fast paced, but again, it's there's usually a somebody there who is coordinating it down to the day very well, hmm. and uh, you're not getting as many people pulled off on a job. Typically, if someone gets pulled off a commercial job, there's still some that are left there. Uh, communication is a lot better. Like I said, there's usually project managers from each trade that are communicating with the superintendent for the general contractor. So mm. there's an actual layered communication program that's usually mm. established. And you typically have your foreman who then relay down to their employees. So it's usually a very formal uh, communication structure on the commercial side, uh, right. new construction, especially. So, you know, uh, so in that world that, you know, who to talk to for what, what the, you know, the, the protocol is, et cetera. Um, so yeah. it lets put you in a, so you're working on a house uh, scenario and you need to you know, have a conversation with, with a plumber or a carpet frame or something like this to, to complete your job on time, to make sure that you're fulfilling your duties. And how would you broach that situation? What, what would you do? <laughs> well, most of the times it was a very hesitant approach. Um, because a lot of the times, you know, they're going to snap back and not snap back as in angrily, but if you go up to another trainer, like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta knock this out. You gotta, you know, you gotta try and establish a friendship with them yeah. is what I always tried to do because you're going to ask them for a favor and you say, Hey, can you please stop what you're doing and come do this for me so I can continue on something? It's kind of a big ask, especially if there's any animosity there from what I told you, the, the little tit for tat things that go on in the construction right. world. Right. Um, so I think establishing the friendships was kind of a, a vital part that I always went for. So when you did go to them and said, Hey, I need a favor, you know, they're like, okay, well, you're the nice guy. You're, you're not the one playing the games with us. I, that's fine. But a lot of the times you get, if it's somebody you didn't know, it's like, I don't have time to do what you need. I'm trying to finish this up. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd kind of blow you off. So it's uh it's a new world there in the residential aspect. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're one of one of the the tools is to you know try to try to be kind and build some some trust in the trust bank so that when you when you need them you can kind of make a, a withdrawal. Yeah, exactly. Relationships. I mean, I've I've always in my my entire career, uh, no matter where I've at been at, it's always been try to establish relationships and build trust with people. So when it comes time to communicate with them, it's a little bit easier. They they 
can believe what I'm going to say or ask and, and at least have a little bit of trust in me or know me to some degree. Awesome. Awesome. I know your time is valuable and we're running up on, on time here, but uh, some of the, the folks who listen to the podcast are you're younger, just entering their careers. If you could give them any advice if they want to explore the contracting world or they want to know more about it, what would you say to them? What would be your advice? Find a great mentor. Find somebody. Um, if they if they haven't entered the trades yet, find somebody who can teach them. Don't chase the money at first. Chase the knowledge. One of the, the like I said earlier, the biggest thing that ever happened to me was working for the gentleman, the contractor I did in Colorado. He taught me not just the carpentry, the amazing skills, but he taught me things about business, about life, um, about relationships with people. He was a relationships guy. And I honestly believe a lot of working for him has is helped me throughout my entire career, even outside of the carpentry world. So uh, again, follow that mentorship and try to find somebody you can download a knowledge bank from and don't always be focused on money. All right. Yeah, that's that's very valuable, right? To go for the knowledge because that's going to, you know, the teach a man to fish type of philosophy. You feed him for life. Yeah. Yeah. Your, yeah. your success can definitely come down the road. Uh, and if you can kind of build your foundation now, build a strong foundation based on uh, knowledge and wisdom, things that they've learned over the years, um, even outside of the skills can be very, very uh, helpful for you in your entire career. Yeah, that's something. Sorry, I just sparked another idea. No, you're fine. <laughs> that, that's something too. I remember my my father. He was I don't want to say a jack of all trades, but because he was a drywall carpenter for like 35 years, over over the years he learned mudding and taping. He learned p- painting. He learned he had to do all odds and ends at some point, and uh, even a little bit of electrical. Uh, my cousin's an electrician actually, and he told me once that my dad could be an electric could have been an electrician if he wanted to because he just had didn't done that much work with electricians that he understood the, the basics, I suppose. And yeah. I, I think that that advice is, is very valuable, very sound because when the economy goes sideways or something, you know, maybe you're, like you said, you're working on cabinetry or you're working in, in a specialized area. If there's no more demand, but you have a skill set that you could earn money in another way, right? You can still mm-hmm. thrive. So definitely, I think that's a very valuable message. Yeah. Definitely. And those relationships will last a lifetime as well. Um, I still on occasion talk to him, even though we're in different states and it's fun watching his business continue to grow. He weathered the storm. Definitely glad I learned from a gentleman like him. So uh, value those those mentorships and those relationships. That's probably the biggest key I can impart onto anybody. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. And for all you listeners out there, you should definitely check out Brett's podcast. So once again, it's the the Contractors Business Podcast. It's on all the the major platforms. You should have a listen. He's got great content on there. So I encourage everyone to go check out the check out the episode I was on. Check out the all the other episodes because I'm sure he's had some very interesting guests. And uh, yeah, as we wrap up here, Brett, thanks for coming on. I'll give you the last word. Anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, sorry, I know I kind of veered from the communication aspect of things there a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of co- lot to cover in the the contractor world, but um, I really enjoy talking to you. Again, I'm I'm super excited. I see I've ordered your book, and so I see it in my Amazon cart every day that I'm in there. So I'm excited <laughs> for that to launch. I can't wait to read that. Um, but no, I'm gonna just say, uh, you know, thanks again for having me on, everyone out there. Just you know, 
do your best to to build relationships. I, I preach that to everybody. I think relationships are the key to life, uh, key to business, key to everything. Uh, so with that, I would say thanks again for having me on your show. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, you're very welcome. So we'll wrap this up. My listeners out there, keep leveling up your communication and we wish you the best of luck in your future speaking endeavors. Thank you.